Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, you out there. Yeah, you. Listening to this episode of Talking Points. It's your host, Brian Kelly, the points guy, and we want to hear from you about the show. What kind of topics do you want to hear more of? Who would you love to hear me interview? Where do you want me to go? What destinations, conferences, you name it. Give me all of your feedback because we're going to be relaunching Talking Points with amazing new episodes and we want your feedback. Go to thepointsguy.com slash podcast to learn more and let me know by May 1st. Welcome to today's episode of Talking Points. You know, we've interviewed CEOs and COOs and all different types of people from the travel industry, but never have we had a head of network planning. So I'm excited to introduce our guest, Vasu Raja, who is the VP of network planning at American Airlines. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, I had to keep clicking more, more, more <laughs> when, when looking at all the different positions that you've had at American Airlines. And I could never hold a job, Brian. You've really run the gamut. Yeah. Um, and so from the looks of it, you went to business school yeah. and you got in in, was it revenue management? I or? started in sales planning, actually, in 2004 and yeah, at the old AMR. And what is sales planning? Sales strategy. So we, we would help... Um, prospect accounts, determine how market share performance was doing, things like that. Got it. So then you just started to rotate through different positions and, and how Yeah, you know, it, it, was a, it was a fun time and a scary time all at the same time, right? That it was 2004 when I started, right? And so the U.S. industry was going through a lot of change, AMR not the least of which. And so on the one hand, it, it was personally a really cool time to be there because we got to the whole business was changing. I got to go and learn a ton of new things. Um, but it was also a really scary time because it was every year was a little more stark than the year before. And so I'll tell you, you know, Brian, that's probably the best thing about my job now is having gone through that at the old AMR and having kind of lived from one crisis to another, having seen roots that were just perennial money losers and stuff like that, now being in a place where we can start to change that and start to see the results of that is a really, really super fun thing for me. So how would you describe working at AMR versus working at American Airlines today? Well, first of all, it's all in the same building. So it's in many ways very, very similar. Some of it is the company. A lot of it is the industry too, right? And that but the biggest thing I can say is in those days, we were living to survive, right? We were truly and literally making it one winter to the other. We would run daily cash flow models, literally daily cash flow models. We looked at root profitability on a cash basis very often. And now that's not it at all. We don't have cash negative flights. And when we do, um, that's a really big issue. We're trying to optimize profitability. Mm. And right now, a lot more of our debates are not about survivability, but sustainability, prosperity, right? How do we keep the, the thing that's American Airlines living for forever? Yeah. And how do we build a root network as the spinal column so that it can indeed live forever? And first of all, route versus route. Now, as someone who's in this role, you, you, you are an authority, you're an influencer on how to say this. So you say route, 
I say route, but I don't have religion on it. When people <laughs> say route, I go with that too. Okay. I'm cool either way, I guess. I think new routes. I think I would new say routes, routes. New routes, new routes. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have destinations all over the world. Absolutely. How many destinations do you have actually? Oh, at this point, I think we have well over 200 destinations worldwide that we serve. On a destination basis, the United States is yeah. the vast majority of them. But yeah, and, then, and growing all the time, too. And so your job is to align the right planes to the right routes? Yeah, that's, that's right. So um, we first set a, a long-term plan for the, the airline and then determine um, what routes or routes we're going to fly and with what kind of fleet and during what times a day. So with your regional subsidiaries, do you do their planning as well or do you just yes. say? Yeah. yeah so absolutely. you actually, and which plane and all that? All that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a ton of fun. You know, it, it's such a massive fleet and with so much opportunity in our, in our system. So it's a lot of fun figuring out where all these things go. And I can imagine you've probably got sophisticated computer programs. So what's the human versus computer element of setting that network? Well, you know, Brian, that's a great question because so much of it there's as much art as there is science in it. And the way we like to think of it is that the computers are there to help make it so that the humans can do what humans are best at, which is to think. So um, the computers do things like they help do flight numbering for the airline. They help um, help our schedulers go and make the simple connections. But what we really spend a lot of time trying to do is, one, really define strategically what we're trying to do, spend a lot of time evaluating whether the decisions we're making day-to-day are, are actually executing against that and if the strategy is actually paying out, right? You know, it's, it's really easy in the world of network planning where you say, for example, one of the things we're doing now, we're going to grow DFW. We're, it's yeah. more growth. To than, 900, right? To 900 departures, yeah, which in, in May there will be more departures in a single hub than we've, we've seen in the post-9-11 industry in any hub. Mm. But when you do that, it's easy to say in concept, but what, is, what do you grow? How do you grow it? What times of day? And all of that are um, very granular decisions that, that humans have to make. It's really hard. Robots can help mm-hmm. you, but the human has to make it. Especially in the forecasting, there's trends, but you know, big events that a computer model wouldn't know about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect example of it, right? A forecast would say that demand may be going to market XYZ, but actually what happens Japan is Japan next year will slow down, but actually Olympics, totally. yeah. Totally, right? Or and, and the things that forecasts can't quite get their hands on, right, are uh, big Japanese multinational creates uh, an office in North Texas. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something that you're not going to forecast that because right. it happened in the last six months. And so, so how do you have your eyes and ears on the ground, your team, like... Yeah, and so you have to you have to kind of look at all things. That's that's where the art comes in from, right? And the, the more you do it, the easier it gets, right? So, you know, one of the things that we realize is in DFW, uh, it is such a massive east-west hub for the airline. What we find is actually our west coast markets do better and better. They're hungry and hungry for more pipe. The more we add certain kinds of cities in the east coast. And some of those cities tend to, to respond a whole lot better to, like, there's a lot of demand that goes from um, the southeast of the U.S. into Arizona, and DFW is a great connect point from it. A ton of demand that goes from um, southeast of, of the U.S. into Colorado, you DFW see, is a great yeah. connect point for it. And so once you know that, then it makes it easier to add the next route out of DFW. So obviously having the right amount of planes and destinations, what's more of a resource capacity, planes versus gates at airports, like an actual ability to, to grow? or Candidly, it probably is different for different airlines. For for the American Airlines that's here today, the bigger constraint is gates. Mm-hmm. Infrastructure at large, yeah. maybe the, the better way to say it, right? So in New York City, right, we would, we would love to have a 500 departure hub in New York City, but the reality is between 
uh, slot constraints, airspace constraints, ground space or gate constraints, that's an impractical thing to have happen. And so we have to figure that out without that. And there's been a lot of talk about JFK and AA's plans pulling back. You know, there is the runway construction and people are parsing. So what is AA's strategy at JFK? Is it to, yeah. to build up that international business or to really focus more on that lucrative transcon market? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Brian. And actually, th- this probably more so than anything else comes back to your earlier question about how it's changed between AMR and, and American Airlines, at least for me. Through so much of our system, our strategy is that we, we connect people to the world by connecting them through our hubs. Right In New York City, that's a very different thing. Again, we, we don't have the slot portfolio, the size to go and have a 500 departure hub here. And so here we are focused on, on getting customers to and from New York City, but most specifically getting premium customers to and from New York City. And when I say premium customers, I mean people who tend to travel a lot but not exclusively for business, who value um, a deep schedule, a great product, not just on the airplane but on the ground. And that may sound like a niche, but in New York City, that's a huge, huge market. And so a lot of what we have done in New York City is actually um, cut away the things that are are um, not consistent with that and focus heavily on the things that are. So we have gotten out of routes from um, New York to, say, Santo Domingo, but we have all 777s flying in yeah, New was, York to international, right? This is exciting. So the 777s are – because it used to be a lot of 767s, which is you know nowadays a very sub – subpar product across the, yeah. the Atlantic. So now, so this summer travel season. All triple seven. All triple sevens. Yeah. And, and we've seen a huge benefit from that, right? So um, our customers love it. We've, we've been winning market share back. You know, it's rare when you fly a bigger jet. We had 757s and 767s before, and it wasn't very successful. It wasn't profitable. We moved the triple sevens and 2018 was the first time we've generated a fully allocated profit flying New York to International in 20 years. Us, um, us picky New Yorkers, we we know a good product when yeah, we see one. <laughs> no, but, but you know what? There's truth to it, right? And that we find that when we do have a product and a schedule that works for the premium customer, it works. And so LA is a great example where we have you know, we have an airplane type that at one point in time, people would have thought it was just ridiculous in the market, but it does really, really well for us. In fact, it's arguably the, the gold standard of products. And so there's a lot of markets of really big premium markets like that where it works. So our JFK is first built around that. But also what, what you're seeing from us, too, is part of our, our play is that we're a premium airline for people coming to New York. And there's so many cities in New York because of slots and things like that that don't really have great nonstop service. Uh, many of those cities are huge cities in our network, uh, Nashville, Knoxville, Charlottesville. They don't sound like huge cities necessarily, but they don't have great service outside of American Airlines. And when we go and connect those, there are people who own companies and things like that who come here and meet with investors and stay in hotels and are good for New York, too. And so, so much of our New York is that. So JFK is essentially, what, eight different airports. You know, they're not connected and they operate totally pretty much independently. Yeah. And LaGuardia is going through a multi-billion dollar I'm even confused at which airlines, the terminals at LaGuardia. Like, I'll show up to a terminal I haven't been to in a year. It's like, wow, this is totally different, and we can't even keep up with the news here. So AA is split at LaGuardia, you know, that Terminal B. Yes. Although the one thing that so annoys me about LaGuardia is that the gates are D and a number, but it's actually Terminal B. Yes. I, like, on yes. more than one occasion, have just looked, oh, I'm gate D whatever, and I've told the Uber driver. Yeah, yeah. Oh. many Uber drivers yeah. have been confused for the very same reason, so yes. what's the terminal strategy at LaGuardia? 
Is there a full renovation of those coming? Or yeah, I, they there, just got a Starbucks. That's pretty exciting. But that, that's, that that's, is <laughs> that is true. Yeah, no, there, there's a full renovation. Yeah. The, the new LaGuardia will be an amazing thing when built. And no, it's not it's not an easy space on any yeah. number of ways to go and rebuild. And everybody has been super patient. It's been a wonderful thing uh, as our customers have worked with us through it. But yeah, no, we will have a a fully state of the art LaGuardia facility. We'll have the shuttles gated. It'll be the fastest walk from curb to airplane we can possibly mm-hmm. make it right through the premium line. We want it to be every in every way be a world-class experience, just like what people have in Kennedy. Similarly, the, the, the new Kennedy, as we start bringing British Airways and, yep. and IAG into it, will have a similar sort of experience where it'll be a truly world-class premium experience where you can go through industry-leading, vast premium lounge, all filling 12 to 14 New York hmm. to London flights a day. So you mentioned the 767 is coming off of International. Now, one of the reasons why I'm loyal to AA, I fly a lot New York-Miami. It's my route, and I love taking the 767. People call me a diva that I need a live flat for a three-hour flight. But by the time you board, you're on. I mean, you're you're there for four-plus hours, and I'm, it's so nice to not have a seat made. And, well, you know, Brian, and now you're, they've got you're, Wi-Fi. You're, I'll, I'll make so, you feel better. You're a New Yorker. <laughs> and, and that, no, but seriously, that's a good thing. I mean, I mean that in a, in a great, great way, um, and we've seen that. So, you know, the 767 as an international product is really challenging on any number of levels, and we have been consciously testing it more domestically, so much so that we actually have a lot of 767s flying Miami domestic to New York, to mm-hmm. San Francisco, even to Why Vegas. have they never been on L.A.? And, you know, it's like L.A. will have a 730, you know, the, the, you used to have the Max or, you know, 321s with recliners, and it's like... Yeah, it's, it's actually gating issues in, yeah. in Los oh, Angeles. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do have the 777s that fly. Yeah. We have two L.A. Miami 777 ops that are there that yep. end up blowing into either into Miami or into the L.A. network. But, no, we can't gate the 67 in, hmm. in, in the L.A. that's there today. That'll change in the future. But, no, but we, we've seen that. You know, as we've, as we've deployed the, the 67 more domestically, especially in New York, um, it has really taken off. There's a lot of demand for that full-flat product. And, and, and that's where we say, like, in all of those big markets, and Miami's one of them, L.A., San Fran, De Gaulle, Heathrow, even DFW, we are consciously trying to go put the most flatbed mm-hmm. first-class seats of anybody. I go to Charlotte quite a bit as well, and I fly Charlotte, Philly, and I love taking the, the A330 on that 60-minute yeah. flight. For people listening, like, so for, you know, such a huge jet on such a short route, like, it makes sense, or is it really just utilizing it in between international runs? Yeah, actually, what it is is that the, the airplane um, wakes up in maintenance at Charlotte, and then it flies to Philadelphia, where it then goes and flies Philadelphia to Europe. So the maintenance of all the 330s is all done out of Charlotte, Interesting. Right? Yeah, and so that's also where we have a number of routes in Europe that are the same between Charlotte and Philadelphia because we get a routing efficiency. We can fly Philadelphia to Europe and then Europe to Charlotte. Interesting. Yeah. Things I didn't know. Yeah, that's right. What are the most exciting new routes that you're adding to the network or the most notable new routes that you're kind of crossing your fingers right now? Like, geez, I, I hope these ones work out. Like, Yeah, the, another great question. For right now, there's sort of two categories of them for me. The First is just in general, whenever you grow up 900 by 100 departures and grow it to that scale, and we spend a lot of time thinking about those and looking at them. So um, the first set of, of new routes that are there are um, our routes from DFW into what we call the Pacific Northwest. So we're doing more flying of like Kalispell and things like that. And those are markets which tend to do really well out of DFW, but it consumes a lot of airplane time. And so we, we tend to watch those. But the ones that are really on our mind are routes such as Dubrovnik, Pereira, Philly, and Colombia, right? yeah. yeah, Miami to Cordoba. 
because for, for years and years, you know, American Airlines has an amazing domestic network, and it, our customers love it. We produce really great margins there, and we've had an international network that has lagged it, for, for lack of a better word. And for much of the last two years, we've, we have cut away kind of chronic money-losing markets, and we have been devoting that capacity into starting new things. And what we call it is expanding the frontiers of American Airlines. Uh, and the initial results of it have been promising. You know, last year, we were the first U.S. carrier into Prague and Budapest. They did great. Mm-hmm. They did really, really well. Um, and so now we're trying to do more of that stuff. And and if this stuff works, then the stuff we have in store for 2020 should really be a lot of fun. And why did you choose Philly over New York for Dubrovnik, for yeah. example? Look, where Philadelphia works is it is a great connecting point. I actually, I love Philly Airport and Charlotte, too, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's, it's an easy airport. It's an easy place to connect. It's an easy place to run a transatlantic operation. It doesn't have a lot of the issues, that, the ground space issues that, that can exist in New York airports and, and Philly. So we can, we can connect 95% of the demand, with the exception of New York City, over Philadelphia. And for a market like Dubrovnik, so much of it um, is little pools of traffic that originate everywhere from the West Coast to the South to the Midwest. New York, however, works for us when it's a big local marketplace mm-hmm. with a, an amazing premium product. And so though we've been growing Philly, by no means does it mean that we're not growing New York. It's that um, New York's future growth will be in those big O&D markets yep. where, we can, where, where the premium product matters. All right. Now we're going to take a quick pause to hear from our sponsors. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Seven thirty-seven max. You guys just uh, took it off the schedule through August. Yeah. I mean, as a head of the network, this must be a major headache for you. What what goes into the response, yeah, and shuffling around, taking planes from routes, or yeah, look, it was it was the, the process was strenuous, but the decision was easy. Look, we have great confidence that that this airplane is going to be recertified mm-hmm. um, this summer. However, we don't have certainty when that's going to be right. And right now, customers are going out there and they're booking summer travel plans, which, no matter who you are, is a big deal, right? And so we want to ensure that all of our customers have the confidence that whatever they're booking is something that is going to fly. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't have the certainty for when the max would be in the schedule, we didn't feel comfortable having it out there. So uh, for that reason, uh, we took it out for the summer. Needless to say, we didn't just cut max routes one for one, but we tried to spread it so that, first of all, we took out flights where there weren't a lot of bookings on it, so we mm-hmm. minimized the impact to the customers that have already booked. Two, places where historically we haven't had a lot of bookings three routes where there's a lot of frequencies. So we took out a few Miami to New York because mm-hmm. we have 18 of those. Don't worry, the 67 still on Good. it, though. So, And uh, last, we took out really kind of long-stage markets where um, we don't have to cut as many departures to get an airplane. I actually was on NBC Nightly News recently, and I said that it could get to the point where the max name is toxic and you know consumers we, you know don't want to fly it. And actually, President Trump just said in a tweet that... Um, 
he thinks it needs to be rebranded. Do you think that's overkill, or do you think that there's a real issue on him with consumer confidence in the aircraft? Yeah, you know, I, too early. I mean, I, I yeah. don't have a have a good answer to that. Look, for, for us, the the most important thing and is really just providing certainty about the summer schedule for customers. Like mm-hmm. that, that's in, in any which way you look at the situation. I think there's a lot of ways to speculate on it, but the most like clear and present thing we can do for our customers is just give them the comfort of knowing that the schedule they book yeah. is going to be the one that flies. And after that, everything else would just kind of sort itself, I suppose. And w- when people do have schedule changes, they happen. It's part of the process, right? And what is American Airlines policy if, you know, is it an hour that you can refund your flight if the schedule changes or... Um, I, look, we'd have to get back yeah. to you on what the exactly. what the, the 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 time is, but um, but yeah, we we try to work with customers. Yeah. Needless to say, especially when something as exogenous as this happens. One of the tips we tell people is always log in to make sure your seat assignment changes. I guess that's what the benefit of booking as a a group, right? That your system yeah. people don't you know your systems don't know when people want to sit next to each other. Are there any other tips that you would give people? Actually, minimum connection times. Yeah. How do you determine minimum connection times? Is that your team that does that? Well, for, first to explain the concept, look, a minimum connection time is what is the minimum time it would take you to get from flight A to flight B at a given airport, right? And it varies a lot. So DFW is the best example because it's such a big and spread out airport. If you're connecting from one side of the airport to another, that's a different minimum connection time than flights that are gated mm-hmm. in the same terminal the minimum connection time from domestic to international is different than domestic to domestic. And so um, it's actually a quite complex thing. Actually, though, to give your, your listeners some comfort, we spent a lot of time looking at that to ensure that people can, in fact, operate it. You know, this this summer, JFK is is having runway construction. Uh, and again, consistent with our kind of brand promise to our customers, one of the things that we looked at as we changed our flight schedule is to ensure that people, that all those minimum connection times are legit minimum connection yep. times. Because you right? pad right. into the flight time as well. We do. So there's we a little bit of, we, yeah. The, the flight time has some of that padded in there. The, M, the minimum connection time is one that we actually do time and motion studies to ensure that people can go and run it. Um, and we stress it for a peak time operation, right? For what people are likely to experience on Fourth of July weekend as they're running through the airport with their yep. family. It's always good to get that cardio in. That's the, the, the bright yeah, side we, of it. We, we hope they don't have to get too much of that cardio in. <laughs> now, and that's, we, we, we try to build it so that they don't. One of the th- great things about my job, I get to go on a lot of inaugural flights, and there's so much excitement. I assume you do as well. What's What's been your most memorable inaugural flight that you've taken? Well, so it, it's funny. Actually, the most memorable inaugural flight that I took was one that I took by accident, actually. So I was in uh, – it was right after we started DFW to Hong Kong. I was actually in Hong Kong for business, and my first flight back happened to be the, the Eastbound inaugural. Um, and so I got to the gate. I didn't even – I didn't think about it. At the time. I wasn't in, in route planning. I was um, I was in revenue management. And I got there, and there were a bunch of Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, and there was this huge event. Like you, you, you would have thought there yeah. was a, you know, like like a Hong Kong airport was basically <laughs> all surrounding yeah. the American Airlines gate. And lo and behold, it was it was the inaugural. So that that was that was a pretty fun one. That was a that was a good party. I've yeah. taken that route several times. I love I, I love that. You know, you're an executive for an airline. You've got flight benefits. Are you still a points guy, though? Do you play the points game? So I, I will tell you this. I sort of play the points game. I am not nearly as good at it as what other people I, with whom I work with are. Uh, I, I have small kids, and so we pretty re- religiously sit in, like, the last row of coach, <laughs> and, and I refuse to let them get out of there. So we do play the um, middle seat and coach game quite a lot. 
Sounds awful. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Traveling it, with it can't always be business class on well, Miami JFK. So let's, but. <laughs> well, okay, economy then. So what's your favorite AA plane to fly in economy with your kids? Is oh, like, no, no, no doubt whatsoever. It's the MD-80. Look, I, oh, I, really? Yeah, I, I tell people that the MD-80 helped, helped um, raise my oldest son. <laughs> you know, we, um, when he was born, like 14 days after he was born, we took him on, on the MD-80. And we would religiously get like row 24. It was like across from the labs right yep. next to the engine. And he, he had trouble sleeping. He was colicky. But when you put him on the MD-80 oh, and the hum engine, of that engine. And, oh, that, man. That takeoff lift will put you right into your chair. So, yeah. so he's 10 now. To this day, he gets on an airplane and starts going to sleep. And, and the MD-80 is coming to an end soon, right? With soon AA, it is. Right? Soon yeah. it is, yes. Gotta, all, all are you going to take the pass. kids on one final like loop on the MD-80? <laughs> you know, I, I they, would, they would love to. They would absolutely <laughs> love to do it. But I think we're going to say that for customers and employees, though. So what route are you most excited to take with your kids on a vacation? Where do you like to go to actually unwind? Oh, we, we, we try to take as much adventure with them as possible. And so we've gone to every country in South America with oh, them. Nice. I think what we're probably most looking forward to doing with them is, is Iceland this summer. I think oh, we'll do that. Iceland's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've heard Does that. Does AA fly there still yeah, from, in the summer? From, yeah, from DFW to Reykjavik. And oh, so, wow. What, what plane is that? The 57. The 757. Yeah. So you're traveling by yourself on a business trip, window or aisle seat? Oh, always aisle. Always aisle. But that said, so I try to mix it up every time I travel. I randomize it. So I'm going home in a middle seat. I came up in an exit row. Are so, you one of those people that like likes to meet new friends on planes? Well, I, I like to see what the experience is like yeah. and, is in different things. You know, um, my team's also involved, of course, configuring airplanes yep. too. So I, I like to sit everywhere. I yeah, and I try to like observe enough social cues so I don't chat up the wrong people. You know, sometimes when when you're the guy in the middle seat looking forward to talking to the guy <laughs> in the window, they they're not as excited as you <laughs> hey, may be. Hey, <laughs> well, so on behalf of TPG readers, just try making the bathrooms a little bit smaller. I mean, a little bit bigger. <laughs> Like I said earlier, we're just so excited for the future. You know, for so many years at American, the active network planning was just trying to get to the next winter and through the next winter. And now we get to actually do things like thinking about growing DFW to 900 departures and how we could potentially expand on the good thing we've got in New York. And so it's a great time to, to be there. And I really appreciate being on your show. I look the, forward to being back. The ultimate job for an aviation geek. Vasu Raja, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. On this Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Talking Points. A huge thanks to Vasu Raja, VP of Network Planning at American Airlines. I think this was our most Avgeek episode yet. Again, I'm your host, Brian Kelly, and this episode was produced by Margaret Kelly and Caroline Shagrin with editing by Ryan Gabus. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Special thanks to Christy Matsui, my legendary assistant and if you've been enjoying talking points so far thank you and please leave us a good review on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts this episode may feature offers that are subject to change and are offered by our advertising partners thepointsguy.com is a free website so we do advertise in order to generate revenue for a full listing of our advertising policy go to thepointsguy.com slash advertising Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 